we've been, let's just go all the way back, okay? We're talking about learning to trust God and His power, amen? For the Bible says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And I think a lot of folks have waiting upon God as, you know, sitting around twiddling our thumbs till God does something, and that's not what that means. Um, the word literally is an expectation, where, where we're in, in a state of expectancy uh, concerning what God has done for us, what God has spoken to us, uh, and, and how you know, trusting Him in, involves um, not getting ahead of Him, but following Him and being led by Him. And then we've connected what we've learned about trusting God with honoring God, because there is no greater honor than trust. And so we can talk about all these things that we do for God and how much we love God and, and so forth and so on. But the greatest honor uh, for God is when, is when you trust Him. And I've used this example over and over again. You know, somebody who's close to me, my children, my grandchildren, you know, boy, we sure do love you, Daddy. And we don't trust you, but, you know, you're a great guy. See, that, that doesn't fly, right? It's, it's trust is this highest form of honor. And we said that honor is a deliberate and intentional act that we honor on purpose. We've also learned that honor is a choice. It's something that we either choose to do or choose not to do. And that the opposite of honor is offense. And that offense and honor cannot exist in the same heart at the same time. So I've asked you to pay attention to and be aware of all the different opportunities you have throughout your day to become offended. Um at people you don't know, have never met, uh, people you do know, uh, even sometimes people who are very close to you. The, the enemy works really, really hard to present you and me with opportunities to be offended. That's why the Bible says to not take offense. Offense is something that can be offered, but you don't have to take it. Amen. And, and of course, what we see is that faith will not work in an offended heart. This is one of the devices or strategies that the enemy uses against us if he can get us in a place of, of offense. And so that's why, you know, when Jesus would teach on prayer or when Jesus would teach on faith, uh, very often he would include in those uh, teachings uh, a, a lesson or, or, or truth and, and information, wisdom on forgiveness. We see that so often linked together, prayer and or faith, and Jesus teaching us on those subjects as well as including a teaching on forgiveness alongside those. Now, um, we see where Jesus comes to his hometown to minister. We have this recorded in Luke 4 and in Mark chapter 6. And he could do no great works among the people that he grew up with because the Bible says they were offended at him. It's a classic example of the difference between um, honor and offense. And so in the course of that encounter, Jesus says, among other things, we're trying to uh, narrow our focus this morning as we review, Jesus said to them, but I tell you truly, many, many widows were in Israel during uh, the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. He goes on to talk about another situation where there were many lepers um, but in, in Israel, but it was an outsider from Syria who received healing through God's prophet. So Jesus is not trying to strike back at these people and hurt them. 
but he's pointing to the patterns of previous generations who missed out on what God desired to do for them, in them, and through them in hopes of motivating these people to not make the same mistake. And I pray that he's doing the same for you and me this morning. In other words, that that we can learn from the mistakes of others so that we do not make those same mistakes ourselves. Now, I get, I get to this point right here, and I, I want to stay here and stay here and stay here because I really feel like this is a sticking point for a lot of people. It's so easy to speak of the mysterious will of God. It's, it's, it's so easy to just chalk up you know, things as, as random and random in nature, and, and religion tells us you never know what God's going to do. You never know how God's going to respond. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. My friend, the devil is behind every bit of that thinking, and, and all of those thoughts and statements are lies. Um, God is faithful. Faithful could have just as easily been translated trustworthy. And, and someone who does one thing one day and something else the next is not a trustworthy person. Are you following what I'm saying? If you never know how somebody's going to respond, and if, if somebody responds differently every time a similar or same situation arises, then you have no idea what to expect from that person, and therefore you, your ability to trust them is, is basically non-existent. So this is why we see things like God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, God is um, a constant in our lives. And, but see, the reason people say these sorts of things uh, about God and falsely accuse God is either they don't understand the ways of God or they do not want to take responsibility for their own actions and their own choices. Amen? Now, we, we see, and we looked at this verse last week. Again, I'm still trying to do a little review and a little teaching along the way. Um, Psalm 103 and 7 says that God made known his ways to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. So if you only know the acts of God, the, you know, what God does, but do not understand the ways of God, then I could understand how you may think that God just randomly acts uh, and, and does things just kind of on a whim or, or what have you. Uh, but the reality of it is everything that God does, he does according to his uh, eternally established ways. Okay? And he wants you and me to be like Moses and understand his ways. Not just what God does, but why he does it, how he does it, and how we can uh, operate according to God's ways and experience his uh, blessings and benefits in our lives. So we said that God always acts, not sometimes, not most of the time, always acts according to his ways. Now some of you will remember this from discipleship class. We talk about it extensively in there. But in James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, the Bible says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, there are a couple of other places, at least in the Scriptures, where we see the verses or the point begin with the phrase, Do not be deceived. And I think it's pretty obvious, but let me point it out to you. Why do you think... We're given the warning, do not be deceived before, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, whatever man sows, it will also reap. Why do you think he tells us or warns us to not be deceived? It's because there's a lot of deception associated with the truth that's being presented here. In other words, there are a lot of people who believe it works one way when it actually works this way. There are a lot of people who think, well, this is how God does it, or this is according to this, or it's according to that. And so when he says, do not be deceived, 
He's saying, listen, a lot of people believe a lot of things about this subject that's not true. A lot of people think a lot of things and have a lot of opinions about how all this works. But remember, to be deceived means to believe something is true when it's actually not. And Brother Keith Moore says, if you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be. So he's saying, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from God, the Father of lights. And notice it says, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. The King James Version says, with whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. So what is he saying here? He's saying that God is a constant that can be counted on. And the ways of God are constant and they can be counted on. Count it on so much that you can build your life on them. Count it on so much that, that, that you, can, you can literally go to the, to the, to the very edge of, of life and existence itself and, and walk out on these things and they will support you and, and hold you up. So I like to point it out this way. If you remember in math class, first time we had a letter in a, in a math equation. And, and in this simple equation, we see that 1 plus x equals and then there's a blank. Well, the, the one in this equation is the constant, and the x represents the variable. So we don't know what the answer to this solution is until we know what the variable is. So, for instance, if x equals 1, then 1 plus 1 is 2. If x equals 300, then 1 plus x equals 301. Are you following what I'm saying here? Now, what he's saying here to you and me, do not be deceived, all right? Do not be deceived, okay? God is always at the peak of His glory. There, with no variableness, no shadow of turning in Him. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from Him to you and me. So, so if, you, if you understand this, He's saying, first of all, God is the constant equation. God is the constant, rather, in your, in your life equation. But you hold all the variables. Now, again, <laughs> I've taught this or some... Uh, you know, version of this uh, for many, many, many years. And, and uh, I'll be honest with you, I've had some folks that have gotten offended at this. But see, this, this goes back to the, the random acts of God versus the, the ways of God. And so God is the constant in your life equation. The sooner we come to this realization, the better. And that, and that it's the variables that we control. Are you following what I'm saying? Like, let me, let me give you an example, okay? You're here this morning. You're watching online this morning. You had the option of doing something else. See, the variable was not whether or not God had something to say to you this morning. He's always got something to say to us, amen? The variable is whether or not we're going to show up and hear it and respond to it. Well, see, now, after you hear the Word of God, the variable is, are you going to try to apply that to your life and do something with it? Or are you just going to, you know, maybe jot it down and think it was, a, you know, interesting or whatever and, and just move on like it was never said to you? So, see, all of these things are, are variables. We see Jesus did the same thing in Nazareth that he did every other place he went. Right? Matter of fact, it even said that according to his custom, according to his pattern, everywhere he went, he repped the prophet Isaiah, which spoke of the coming Messiah and what the coming Messiah would do. He read that, faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He then, after reading it, he, he folded up the book. He went and sat in a chair that was, was reserved for the, I can say that, was reserved for the Messiah. And he said, today, everything necessary for the fulfillment of these verses in your life is here and, and ready. 
We're not waiting any, mo- any longer for, this, for the Messiah to come. He's here, and I'm he. He did this everywhere he went. It was his pattern. It was his custom. It was predictable. Okay? How many times do you read in Scripture where Jesus says, Again, I say to you. Again, I say to you. Meaning what? Meaning there were certain things that he taught just about everywhere he went. It wasn't like you've never heard him say this before. He's, hey, guys, look, I've said this to you multiple times already. I'm going to say it to you again. Again, I say to you. Again, I say to you. So I make no apologies for being repetitious. Jesus was repetitious. Again, I say to you. So he, he was a, there was a pattern here. But when he went to his hometown of Nazareth, it wasn't that, that what Jesus did other places, he refused to do there because they didn't accept him. It says he couldn't. Was his, the same power he had uh, and, and, and used all these other villages and, and locations, cities that he went to and saw great miracles, people healed, demons cast out, breakthrough, salvation, all this, right? Um, he, he did all these things, but now he comes to his hometown. What's the difference? The difference is how the people received him. The difference is the level of honor or lack of honor that he was given. And that's what affected the outcomes, that's what affected the results. Are you seeing this? So I'm not, again, don't be offended. Be thankful that God loves us enough to talk to us about these things. But if you're, let me, let's just say it this way. If, if you're not receiving the kind of results in life that, that you would like to receive, then let's look at how you're responding to God who is the constant in your life, right? What, how are you playing the variables? How are you handling um, the variables. Amen, Romy. You still with me? Honor is a key variable in your life equation, but so is offense. See, if, if, you take, if you take the faithfulness of God and you join your honor for God with that, then that's going to equal some really amazing uh, things in your life. But if you take the constant that is God and you combine offense at, with other people and with God, again, it's going to determine the results. Now, from last week, we said no, no matter how complex the problem or past understanding the supernatural solution may be, God has established simple, doable, and predictable ways for us to connect with Him and receive from Him. It's very important. It's doable. He'll never ask you to do something that you do not have the ability to do. And a lot of times the things He asks us to do are, very, are, are relatively simple. We're going to look at this when we look at Naaman receiving his miracle from God. The prophet didn't ask him to do something hard. As a matter of fact, he was offended because he wasn't asked to do something hard. He, he didn't believe that his problem, which was very complicated in his understanding, could be solved with a simple solution. Think about that for a moment, okay? But that's later, later uh, coming, soon, coming soon. Amen. So no matter how complex the problem or past understanding supernatural solution may be, God has established simple, doable and are you ready for this? Predictable. It's predictable. Why is it predictable? It's because God never changes. Because God never changes, if, if you understand the correct variables in relationship to Him, then the results that will be produced in your life will be predictable. See, this is where faith, this is where expectation, some of these uh, really important things we've been covering on Wednesday nights, uh, a lot of people... The, the hope that they call hope in their lives is really not hope. It's just wishful thinking. It's just, it's just you know, well, you know, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. We just, you know, we say that to try to calm people down. But listen now, 
why is it going to be okay? What are you believing? What are you standing on? What has God already done for you that you've acknowledged and believed and confessed in your life and, re- and believed you've already received and are expecting? You see, again, all of these things. Predictable ways for us to connect with Him and receive from Him. Now, we could do sermons on every one of these, but let me just give you some idea of what we're talking about. Some of the simple commands, simple commands. God commands us to acknowledge things. He, he commands us to come. He commands us to believe. His commands begin with things like receive, speak, give, submit. All of these things are things that, that every one of us are capable of doing. Are you following me? In other words, I could give you verse after verse after verse after verse that, that involve some variation, some uh, combination of, of these things. How about trust? Again, we're talking about simple, doable, predictable ways for us to connect with God and receive from Him. Ask? Amen? Did Jesus not tell us to ask? Did He not tell us to seek? Did He not tell us to knock? And what did He say uh, would happen for everyone who asked? They would receive. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who, uh, who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, it'll be open for Him. What, what are you asking for? What are you seeking? What, are you, what, are you, what door are you knocking on? That, that there's something that you can't see or, or don't quite understand right now that you want Him to reveal to you. Resist. Again, simple, doable, predictable. Resist. Every person in this room knows how to resist. Right? It's just what's happening is sometimes we resist God when we should be resisting the devil. Expect. We all have the capacity, the ability to expect. Stand. I mean, look at the list could go on and on. But I'm just trying to show you simple, doable, predictable ways for us to connect with God and to receive from Him. Now, we're calling this a case study in honor. And the idea is we're wanting to learn from what um, our sister did. I mean, this lady, this widow in Sidon did so that we can um, see honor on display in her life. And because, again, this is, you, you realize that, think with me now for a moment. Jesus himself is in the midst of a group of people that he loves and is trying to help. Are you with me? And their failure to and refusal to honor him has tied his hands. He cannot do among them what it is God's will for him to do among them. Not because he's mad, not because he's not in a good mood, not because, you know, he just isn't going to help them because they're acting ugly. No, he says he could not do any mighty work among them because of their unbelief, and it was unbelief as a direct result of a lack of honor. So he's obviously got to try and help them understand the importance of honor. Now, in this moment where Jesus is wanting them to understand honor and the importance of it, he first goes to a widow in the Old Testament. Are you seeing this? I'm trying to help you understand this isn't just some passing comment that Jesus made on his way out the door. When Jesus calls our attention to this particular lady, as a a living example of what honor for God looks like, 
then our ears should perk up. Anybody who's interested in honoring God, our ears should, should perk up, our heart should perk up, our attention should, should, should you know, move towards this woman to see what it is that she did that enabled God to provide for her and sustain her when it was missing and lacking in all the other widows in Israel. Are you following what I'm saying here? All right. So the first thing we see is God, God told um, uh, Elijah to arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose, went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Now, it's, it's, it's easy, and I think rightfully so, we should look at... Um, the, the, the widow in the story, uh, uh, you know, very closely. But you, you realize, too, that Elijah could have said, a widow to take care of me? That's not even an Israelite? Uh, God, I don't think so. I'm going to waste all this energy going and traveling over to this place. And, you know, what if, what if she says no? And now I'll be outside of Israel and people don't even know who I am. There was all these excuses that Elijah could have come up with but notice now, when he goes, it's like, there she is indeed. In, in other words, there, there are so many, there are so many factors in our lives that, um, you know, some would say, well, it's just a coincidence that this woman was there picking up sticks. Do you think this was the only gate into that city? I don't know. Probably not. Most cities had multiple gates. It was just a coincidence that he came through that gate and she was there at that. No, nothing to do with that. This was clearly orchestrated by God. Have you ever had those encounters in your life? Come on now. Where you're in the right place at the right time for the right reason. And, and you, you meet somebody, you're introduced to somebody that turns out to be a pivotal person in your life. In other words, the, these, uh, you know, what the world would call chance or random connections that are not random at all, not chance at all. But notice now, at, at, the, at the heart of all of this is, is an honor for God, a respect for Him, a willingness to do what He says, even when it may not make sense to you in the moment. How many times have we said, you know, something told me not to go there, and, and yet we went there anyway, and something happened? That, that, that still small voice inside of you? This is, this is our Heavenly Father, the, the Holy Spirit inside of us, trying to help us, trying to lead us, trying to direct us. That's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. It made no sense for Elijah to leave his, his home country of Israel, and go to a place that doesn't even serve his God, non-Jewish people, and, and then a widow. I mean, it would have made more sense if he had said, listen, I got a really wealthy guy that, man, he had food stacked for years. I've commanded him to take care of you. This is a, a non-Jewish widow, perhaps one of the most vulnerable uh, people as far as the effects of... of um, a famine, but notice he didn't lean to his own understanding. 
Are you seeing this? And so God is clearly directing him. He comes into the city, and indeed, there she is, gathering sticks. He called her, and he said, Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little jar, a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself that uh, we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Elijah. Now, there are some, there are some things here that we're going to focus in on. Praise God. And I, I'm going I'm to go ahead and tell you, we're going we're to talk about giving and receiving. And, um, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Because one of the, one of the things that, that we see is that to truly honor God, it requires a tangible expression of trust. <laughs> a tangible expression of trust. So we'll get to that here in just a moment. Another thing that we see, we're going to talk about this in, in, in the coming days, is to honor God, you have to put Him first. Now, some of you, I'm not trying to make you nervous and certainly not trying to offend you. Notice how many opportunities this woman had to, to be offended. Who does this guy think he is asking me for food? I've already told him all I got is enough for me and my boy to eat one cake and then we're out of here. We're dead. We're dying. There's nothing else left. Nowhere else to get anything else. She could have been offended at that. That he even asked her for anything. But he didn't just ask her for something. He asked her for something first. Let me tell you what, let me tell you what was happening here. God was asking her to put him, to put God in a place ahead of herself and in a place ahead of her family. Mm, see, that's, got some learning to do there, don't we? <laughs> no, Pastor Mark, family first. God understands. We're going to talk about first place, but let me go ahead and tell you, there's only one first place amen but now here's the bigger picture of all this okay god honors those who honor him he said i've commanded a widow to provide for you nothing reveals honor or a lack of it better than our response to a command from god now the question is how do you view a command from god as a burdensome obligation or a joyous opportunity. This is the difference here. Who does God think he is commanding her to provide for his prophet? The God who has the ability to supernaturally sustain her and provide for her. And he's, he's giving her an opportunity. She did not see this as a burdensome obligation, but as a joyous opportunity. Honor will always turn the commands of God into joyous opportunities. A lack of honor or offense, right, 
sees the commands of God as a burdensome obligation. God was smiling on this widow when he commanded her to provide for his prophet. Now, here we go. Honor for God involves a tangible expression of trust. You still with me? Anybody in the room interested in honoring God? I know I am. Amen. I know and I believe you are. Okay. So, so this is how we do it. This is how honor works. Honor for God involves a tangible expression of trust. When I say tangible, something of substance, something substantial, something of, 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 of material importance and, and, and value and meaningfulness. I've said this so many times over the last year or two, okay? We want to we give something to God that doesn't mean much at all to us and expect it to mean something to Him. If it's, if it's going to mean something to God, it's got to mean something to you. So honor for God involves a tangible expression of trust. And we see this in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but when we talk about giving and receiving, there are few subjects, listen to me now, there are few subjects in the, in the, in the, in the Word of God, in the body of Christ, that people take more offense over than when we talk about giving and receiving. A lot of offense, a lot of offense is taken over this subject. And if you'll notice the pattern here, honor the Lord with your possessions so your barns will be filled with plenty. Honor the Lord with your possessions so your barns will be filled with plenty. You may, you may know what so means, but let's just clear the air in case you don't, okay? So means for this reason. So means in order that. So means to such a great extent. So when he says honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of your increase, so for this reason in order that to such a great extent your barns will be filled with plenty. Do you see why offense will cause us to view a command from God as a burdensome obligation instead of a joyous opportunity? When God invites you to honor Him with the first fruits of your increase, when God invites you uh, to honor Him uh, and express your trust to Him with, with something of your substance, He's doing so that your barns will be filled with plenty. Remember, he honors those who honor him. These are the ways of God. Let's go back to it now. See, we, we, we want to talk about you never know what God's going to do in the random acts of God. And, you know, one day, you know, we're going to win the lottery and our prayers and this and so. No, see, that's not, that's not how any of this works. There's, there are ways involved in this. Let, let, me give you, let me give you an... Man, my heart is so full this morning. Let me, let me stay focused. Praise God. You still Can you hang in here a few more minutes? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So the King James Version says, honor the Lord with thy substance. Not just possessions, but substance. And I like that. Because honor requires something of substance. This widow could have said, I'll pray for you, but you're not getting my last cake. Would that have been honor? I mean, obviously prayer is, is important. 
But when we talk about something tangible, we're talking about something physical, something of substance. So notice this widow not only honored God, she honored God with her most precious substance. With her most precious substance. Because that cake was going to keep her and her son alive for a few more days. I know you may not think of it, and maybe, maybe I am stretching this just a bit, but, but this is really close to what God instructed Abraham to do when God commanded Abraham to offer Isaac on the altar. It's not the same as plunging a knife in his chest, but giving some stranger their last meal that they were going to eat before they died was, was naturally speaking, signing a death sentence for her son. The widow honored God with her most precious substance. Watch this now. Her little cake was a tangible expression of great trust. Are you seeing this? It was a little cake, but it was a tangible expression of great trust. Now, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I want you to think about this now, okay? How do you consider God's commands concerning tithes and offerings? There is a tremendous amount of potential offense surrounding this subject. And I have taught on this subject at different times throughout the 20 plus years that I've been the servant leader of this family of faith. And every time I do, I give people fair warning. I'm going to be talking about giving and receiving in the coming days. I do not want you to take offense. Let me ask you another question. How many of God's children are offended by the tithe? How many of God's children are offended by the tithe? If we fully understand what it Let me say it another way. If we fully understood what it means to be allowed to give God money, we would run to do it. If we fully understood what it means to be allowed to give God money, we would run to do it. I encourage you to see tithing for what it is. It's a command from God that must be honored. For too long we have viewed tithing as a request, a suggestion, or an option to be considered And because of it, many have sadly missed out on God's blessings in their lives. Now, what we see in in Philippians 4 is a New Testament um, conversation about giving and receiving. It says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. This is Paul to the church at Philippi. Now, you Philippians know also that in the the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Do you have any idea how many churches the Apostle Paul established, how many people he won to the Lord, how many people he spent uh, years of his life mentoring and discipling and, and training pastors to pastor the churches that he established so that he could then go to another unreached area and repeat the process all over again. Yet he says, of all the churches that he fathered, so to speak, 
that the church at Philippi was the only one that shared with him when it came to giving and receiving. That's sad, isn't it? For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So if you're familiar with First and Second Thessalonians, that's Paul's letters to the churches at Thessalonica. Thessalonica was another place where Paul went and ministered. So now notice, he is establishing churches in Thessalonica, but the Thessalonians aren't providing for his needs. The Philippians are sending him financial support so that he can build a church in in another city. Verse 17, this is really important. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. So my commitment to you stands today as it has always stood any time I talk about these things from the Word of God is that I am not preaching and teaching on these things for my benefit or for the church's you know, financial benefit. In other words, it's not like, oh, you know, we got to you know, bear down on this because you know, church is in financial straits and we need more people to give. Let me go ahead and tell you the church is doing well. Um, we own several millions worth of dollars worth of real estate. Um, all of our uh, rental properties are full and people are paying well. Um, while attendance dropped during COVID, uh, you know, the income coming into the church has remained constant and steady. Uh, people watch online. I pray that all the people who give online are watching online and not just giving, but they're benefiting from what it is that God's saying into their lives. So, again, the church is, is doing as well financially as we have ever done since the beginning. So, when I say, or when Paul says, I seek the gift, I, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account, the only reason, the only motivation behind me teaching on these things is for your financial benefit. Are you hearing me? You with me? I need a little amen from that. There are two subjects that I struggle with, and I just, I don't, I'm, I, the Lord's helped me overcome it, okay? And, and that's the subject of, of tithes and offerings. When I say struggle with that, I struggle with teaching it. And I struggle with teaching people the value and the importance of a pastor in their lives. Why do I do that? Because uh, I don't want it to sound self-serving. <laughs> are you following what I'm saying? So if you think I'm doing this because I'm trying to get more money for, from you, for the church, or for me, you, you, you're, you're taking offense at something that you should not be taking offense at. Okay? So not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Verse 18, Indeed, I have all in abound. I am full. Having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, what we see is that a lot of people love to quote Philippians 4.19, that my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. But the context of this to the Philippians is that they shared with Paul concerning giving and receiving. They shared with Paul concerning giving and receiving. He said, what did he say earlier? No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving. Paul is not just talking about giving. He's talking about giving and receiving. 
And what I have learned, listen to me now, what I have learned is that people are offended by the giving part of this and they're also offended by the receiving part of this. As a matter of fact, I'm this many years into it, I'm about more convinced that people are offended more about the receiving than they are the giving. Stay with me now. Giving and receiving are the ways of God. Despite religion's efforts to separate these two from one another, God has eternally connected giving with receiving. It's not giving or receiving, it's giving and receiving. Here's one of the very offensive things, and and I understand, and we'll talk about it, I'm not trying to end this on a sour note, right? But how many times have you heard people say, well, you shouldn't give to receive? That's a lie from the devil that is religious tradition that is, that is intended by the, Satan himself to cheat God's people out of God's economic system for financial increase in your individual life, in the body of Christ, the church, and in, in, and in our influence in the world. To say you shouldn't give to receive is like telling a farmer that he shouldn't plant seed to receive a harvest. Religion, because religion is inspired by the devil, religion tries to separate the giving part from the receiving part, but God has joined those two together. He says, honor me with your substance so that your barns will be filled with plenty. See, again, people are offended by this. Religion is offended by this. Well, because it just, it just sounds so self-righteous, doesn't it? It just sounds so holy. Well, you shouldn't give to receive. Says who? Says who? Not God. What did Je- Let's look at what Jesus said about it. Luke 6 and 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So, well, Pastor Mark, I just, I just, you know, look, watch what's happening now. If, if I'm, if that feeling that you're having right now, make sure it's not offense. See, we get offended by this. Because we, we picture people who put on a show with their giving, who try to draw attention to themselves with their giving, the religious establishment that sounded a trumpet before they gave to draw great attention to themselves. And, and we say, you know what, I'm going to get as far away from that as I can. And so I don't give to receive. Well, if you're going to give according to the ways of God, you give by faith. Are you hearing me? You give cheerfully. Why, why would you give cheerfully? I've said this before, we'll get into it a little deeper, I know I'm out of time, but listen to me for a minute. When that farmer takes seed from last year's harvest and goes out in the backyard and buries it, he does not have a funeral. See, you could be offended at that and say, why is that man taking food out of his children's mouth and going and burying it in the backyard? His kids could have eaten that food, but he took that food from their mouths and he went and buried it out in the backyard. That is so selfish. No, 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 listen to me. That farmer doesn't have a funeral when he buries that seed. He does so in great faith and expectation, knowing that he just participated in something bigger than himself, in himself, and by giving that seed, he knows that he's going to receive from his act of faith. He's confident in that. 
Trying to separate receiving from giving is like trying to separate harvesting from planting. Both have the same root. Both have the same origin. God Himself. Stand with me, please. So Paul says, No one participated with me in giving and receiving. Giving and receiving. Man, we've got a lot to cover here. You excited about it? Mm-mm-mm. Matter of fact, the Bible says it this way. He says, not only is giving connected in Scripture with receiving, he said to the Corinthians, the Holy Spirit, and to you and me, he says, if you give sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But if you give bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. If the farmer plants two rows of corn, should he expect three acres of harvest? But if he plants three acres of corn, are you seeing this, right? I know some of you are like, huh? I don't know, Pastor Mark. I've never heard it preached like that. Well, I apologize to whoever, on behalf of whoever's been teaching you these things because this is what the Word says about this. Father, thank you this morning for the opportunities that are before us now to honor you, Lord, with with our substance, to honor you with the first fruits of our increase. And Lord, you give us the opportunity to do that. You invite us to do that so that our barns will be filled with plenty, so that our vats, our storehouses will overflow, that we would have uh, more than enough. Lord, when, when, when it all won't fit into our barn, Lord, it's time to start sowing more to other people and into other ministries and into, into other people's lives, Father. Lord, we see this in your word, that we would have an abundance to give to every good work. Father, that is your will for us. That is your desire for us, that we honor you with our substance and that our barns are full so that we have to give financially to every good work that you lead us to sow and give and plant into. Father, help us see the connections between giving and honoring and honoring and trusting. These are very powerful connections, very important connections. Father, the devil has tried to separate receiving from giving in our minds and in our faith. But Father, I thank you this morning that we plant and expect from the seed that we plant a harvest. That's why we do not see your commands to tithe and give as burdensome obligations but as joyful opportunities. Father, how you smiled on us when you gave us the opportunity to honor you with the tithe, to give and have it be given back to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Father, I thank you that as we close out 2022 
and look ahead to 2023, Father, that we are looking ahead to some of the greatest and most prosperous seasons and years of our lives, both as individuals, as families, and as a family of faith. Father, thank you for proving your word and for proving yourself to us over all these years here at Heritage. And I thank you, Lord, that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being here this morning. I know it's a, a, little, a little different uh, with the worship and, and those sorts of things. You know, the one thing I thought about this, and if, if just, amen, hear the spirit and the heart from this. I thought, you know, if nothing else, maybe, maybe if we've ever taken Matt and Vanessa and Daniel and different ones for granted, amen, how much we appreciate them, right? And so we look forward to them being back with us next week. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. We'll see you Wednesday, if not before.